السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ the part about the bird that is not mentioned in the Quran even so this shows that when you study the same story in hadith you might learn new things the description of khadr is given more in this version of the hadith let's go over the lessons that we learn in this hadith first of all we see that musa alayhisalam when he said ana a'lamu that i am the person who is most knowing of the people allah subhanahu wa ta'ala became upset with him Fa'atiba, he was upset. And Musa was informed that there is a person who knows more than you. And he went to meet that person. What do we learn from this? That sometimes we could be held accountable for the smallest of statements that we say. For apparently the very small actions that we may do. The Prophet ﷺ just frowned. And he was reprimanded for that. Musa salam, what he said was in one way correct. He was of the most knowledgeable people in the matters of the deen. And he didn't mean to say that he was the most knowledgeable person in everything, but in the matters of the deen. But still Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not like that. So this shows to us that the more a person learns, the more careful he has to become about his words, about his actions, about his duties to Allah. Because a small negligence, a small action can have great consequences. You know, we learned earlier that Hasanatul Abrar Sayyatul Muqarrabin. So the more we know, the more careful we have to become. Extra careful, more alert. But that doesn't change us, you know, being human beings. So we are after all human beings, so we are going to make mistakes. So what's necessary then? Istighfar. Istighfar. The Prophet ﷺ did istighfar so many times in one day. So do that yourself as well. Istighfar should be, you know, on your tongue whenever you are free. Whenever you can say istighfar. Astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh. Astaghfirullah min kulli dhambin wa atubu ilayh. Say istighfar a lot. Because we learn from a hadith that a person could be doing the actions of the people of paradise, but he will say, do one thing and you will end up in hellfire. So small actions can also have great consequences. And as soon as it is pointed out, as soon as we realize that we must accept and we must turn to Allah seeking His forgiveness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described as At-Tawwab. And At-Tawwab, the one who does taba, Tawbah. And Tawbah on the part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is two times. First, when He gives tawfiq to a person to do Tawbah. And then a person repents. And then Allah accepts the Tawbah. So, when you have been made to realize your mistake, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been merciful towards you. He has been a tawab towards you. So now you have to repent to Him so that He will accept your repentance because He is the most forgiving and the one who accepts repentance the most. So whenever we realize any mistake of ours, turn to Allah. And in this journey especially of seeking ilm, 
of doing amal on ilm, of passing on ilm, you make too many mistakes. Every person makes mistakes. With regards to any other knowledge, don't we know about it? Yes, we do. But do we still make mistakes? Yes, we do. Why? We're human beings. We forget. We always need a revision. Isn't it? So similarly, when it comes to the deen, you do make mistakes. So nobody's free of errors. Everyone makes mistakes. So this is why the more a person becomes serious in this career or in this field, the more istighfar you have to do, the more tawbah you have to do. The consequences of making mistakes in this way, in the way of ilm, can be very severe. So a person must be even more careful. There are two types of mistakes. Those that we don't even know, we don't even realize, and those that we do realize. So those that we do realize, you know, consciously seek istighfar. And those that we don't even realize, seek forgiveness for those as well. Another important lesson that we learn in this hadith is that no matter how much we know, what we don't know is still more. We learn that Musa salam he knew a lot about the deen. But still, Khadr knew about some matters that Musa salam did not know. And one after the other, you know, he was learning about new things. What lesson do we learn from this? That وَفَوْقَ كُلِّ ذِي عِلْمٍ عَلِيمٍ And later on we learn in this chapter about the ayah in the Qur'an, وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You have not been given except very little knowledge. So this is why a person must never ever take pride in the knowledge that he has. Rather, he should realize that what he does not know is still much, much more. Then we also learn in this hadith that Musa when he went on his journey to seek ilm, he took along food with him. He took his food with him. So when you go somewhere, it is good to take your provisions along with you. It is in the sunnah of Musa You know, one is that you're doing this, you're bringing your lunch anyway. You're going somewhere, you take your food anyway, you take your lunch money. But the other is that you think Musa also did that. And you're doing it with that love for Musa with that love for the prophets of Allah. Isn't the reward going to be more? Yes. Also we learn in this hadith that it is not aib, it is not something that is a fault in the Prophet of Allah to request that food be brought to him. Musa requested that his food be brought to him by his servant. So do you think he was being oppressive towards his servant boy or he was being harsh with him or he shouldn't have asked anyone for anything because No, there's two types of isti'ana, right? So it was perfectly fine for Musa to ask his servant boy to bring food for him. Then we also learn in this hadith that Khadr, he did not have the knowledge of the unseen. What's the evidence of that? What's the proof of that? That he did not have knowledge of the unseen. You might say that when he killed the boy, he knew that the boy was going to be very you know, bad towards his parents. He warned Musa that you will not be able to have patience with Musa said that no, you will find me patient. He didn't know that Musa would not be able to. Something that's more direct from the hadith. Because he asked Musa who are you? Which land are you from? And Musa said, I am Musa. You're Musa of Bani Israel? Yes. If Khadr knew the knowledge of the unseen, then he would know about which land Musa came from, which people he was from, who he was, and what they said. He would know about everything, but he did not. So this is an evidence that Khadr did not know the knowledge of the unseen. Rather, whatever knowledge he had was what Allah had given to him. You know, knowledge is given by Allah. So he can give whatever knowledge to any of his creations. Another evidence that Allah has given you, O Musa, some knowledge that I do not know. And Allah has given me some knowledge that you do not know. So this is also an evidence that Khadr did not know about everything. He did not have knowledge of the unseen. 
Another important lesson we learned from this is the importance of having sabr, patience. For what? For ilm, in the path of ilm. Whether it is in learning, in understanding, in listening, in changing ourselves, in not giving up, in not asking excessive questions, not objecting even when you think that something does not make any sense. So when it comes to seeking ilm, you have to be patient. Musa salam, he objected. How could you kill a child? An innocent child. Why did you destroy the ship? You're going to cause the people to drown. He was being a little hasty. Why? Because of the knowledge that he had. So sometimes, you know, we have knowledge that Allah has given to us and based on that, we become judgmental of certain situations and we react hastily. But if we calm down and we think about it, then we'll figure out why this was done or why it was not done. This is why I said that a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Why? Because when you have only little, then you pass judgments based on that and you might commit many errors. Can you think of an example? In which sometimes we do that. Somebody mentions, oh, this isn't the hadith. No, this is not hadith. I've never heard of it. It can't be hadith. It's quite possible you haven't read that hadith. So don't be quick to pass judgment. You hear about a story of, for example, the companions of what they did. So for instance, how we learned about, you know, some attacked Abdullah ibn Zubair. And uh, in Makkah, imagine Makkah is being attacked. And it wasn't the Sahaba who attacked, but it was their, it was the people who came later. But Makkah was destroyed. And if we start passing judgments, or they were disbelievers, you know, they did not follow the Prophet ﷺ. They did not have any respect for the Kaaba. You know, we become very emotional sometimes. When it comes to studying the history of Islam, when it comes to seeing things that we haven't heard of before, we haven't learned before, and we might become hasty over there. So be a little patient. And if you're patient, then you will understand, inshallah. Like, for example, when you're learning grammar, you see that many things are connected with each other. For example, if you learn about root letters, you have to know about the wazan, and you have to know about the fail, and you have to know the ism, you have to know the mustar, you have to know the madhu, you have to know the mudara, you have to know the jazim, and you know, all, all of that. So there's so many things that are connected with each other. So what do you have to do? You have to go along with the teacher. Whatever they're giving you, take that. And don't try to get ahead, because if you try to get ahead, then you'll be in a total mess then you'll be in a lot of confusion. So patience is necessary when it comes to learning knowledge. Similarly with fiqh, you know, there could be many many opinions out there, and you know about one and you don't know about the other, just because you heard the other saying something that you don't follow, you think that, oh my God, how could they ever do this? And they're not on the sunnah anymore, and they're following their desires. No, we don't make such judgments. You have to look at the big picture. You have to look at their evidence. And we are no ones to pass judgment on other people. Be very careful about that. And it happens sometimes that people will come to you to ask you, so what do you think, what do you say about such and such, about so and so? What should your response be at that time? What should you say? Allahu A'lam. And also, you know, advise them to have respect for one another. Because many times it happens that, for example, if a sheikh is teaching something, you have the right to disagree with him. You have the full right to disagree with him, but you don't have the right to say negative things about him. You cannot spread propaganda against him. Because that is something that we have been forbidden to do. Another important lesson that we learn in this hadith is about the adab, the respect that a person should have towards the alim. Because we see that Musa was told to be patient. And when he objected, then he was reminded. 
and he was reprimanded. And then eventually, the chances finished. He ran out of them. Another important thing that we learn is, are you familiar with karamat? What are karamat? Okay, you can say something like miracles that are given to people who are not prophets of Allah. Are they true? Are they? Yes, it may happen. Okay, it may happen. For example, we see that Khadr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him some knowledge that other people did not have and based on that, he did some things. He perhaps saved, he saved a ship. He saved some poor people. He saved very righteous parents. He saved innocent orphans, right, with the actions that he did. And this was based on the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him. And when we see, when we hear about such events, first of all, remember that we don't have to believe in them like we have to believe in the Qur'an and Sunnah. I think just yesterday somebody was telling me about karama that they had heard of. And... um you know, that there's an old person and they were going and they did this and this happened. If you hear about such a story, you told me. What did you tell me? That is, this man was traveling somewhere in a group and everywhere he went, he took money out of his wallet that was of that land, meaning the currency of that particular country. Whereas he never went to the money exchange people and he never got the money exchanged and he never brought, you know, different currencies from home. So what? Okay, this happened. It was a blessing of Allah on him. Allahu alam, whether it's true or not, we are not to pass judgments. And we are not to believe that that person is very high up there and he's completely forgiven. And, you know, we should go to him and we should kiss his hands and his feet and we should ask him for blessing. No. Because if you think about it, the prophets of Allah, did they not perform greater miracles? Yes, they did. However, whatever they did, what was said? Bi'idnillah, with the permission of Allah. So whenever something great happens, it happens with the permission of Allah. So it's not that we should be impressed by the person, but we should be impressed by the power of Allah. And we see that with the prophets, whatever they taught the people was based on what? What Allah had given to them. So likewise, if there is a person on whose hands some karamat have happened, if they tell you something, you will only accept and listen and obey if it is according to the sharia of Allah. If it's not according to the sharia of Allah, you're not going to follow it. Because they're not the lawmakers. Who is the lawmaker? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remember this rule. One more important thing, that if in a situation you have no option but to, you know, you have two evils in front of you and you have to choose one of them. So choose the lesser of the two evils. Where do we learn that from? Khadr, he had the ship, right? He had to save the ship. One was that he could cause the ship to drown or he could destroy part of the ship, to save the ship. So what did he do? He destroyed part of the ship so that the ship could be saved. Many times it happens, you are in a situation where you don't know what to do. This is bad, this is bad. This is not ideal, even this is not ideal. So choose the lesser of the two evils. And we also learn something very beautiful about the Prophet ﷺ, about his eagerness to learn more. Learn more about the righteous people of the past, about their events, about what they did, what they said. Why? Because there's so many lessons in that for us. So look at the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, Surely we would have loved if Musa ﷺ was more patient so we could know more about him, more about what happened. So we should have the same desire as well. And this can only come with love for the righteous people, love for all the believers. Bab man sa'ala, the one who asked, wahua while he was qa'imun, standing. The one who asked while he was standing. So a person is asking a question while he is standing. And who is he asking? Aliman. A scholar who is jalisan, who is sitting. So, a scholar is sitting, and the student is standing. 
Can the student ask a question in that state or does he have to sit down? Is it disrespectful? He can ask. He may ask. We see that there are different types of people. Some people are serious students, learners. They want to learn something. So they will come and sit in a classroom and they will sit and study and they will ask whatever questions come to their mind, whatever clarifications they need. They will ask about that. But they're serious learners. They're sitting with the teacher. They're in the company of the teacher. But occasionally it happens that there are people who are walking by, who just come as listeners, who are just standing there wondering what's going on, and all of a sudden they have a question. So if they ask a question, should they be asked to sit down or can answer be given to them while they're standing? The answer can be given to them while they're standing. Everyone does not have to be a regular enrolled student. Okay? Everyone does not have to be a regular student to be able to ask questions, to have their questions answered. And we also see that the ideal situation is that the teacher is sitting and the student is also sitting. As we learn in the hadith of Jibreel, that Jibreel, salam, he came and he sat in front of the Prophet ﷺ while he was also sitting. And then he asked the question. So that is ideal. However, in, in some situations, it's not possible for the student to sit or the teacher to sit. So, for example, it's possible that it's a small place, there's a lot of people sitting and some are standing at the back. Okay, so this is not disrespect. Likewise, there are a lot of people and the teacher has to stand in order to be able to see everybody. So, again, if the student asks, they give a comment, this is not disrespectful. Ideal is that both are sitting. But if it's if it doesn't happen then this is not against adab. If you think about it, we'd be like, yeah, of course, why not? But what does it show? How sensitive Imam Bukhari was. How careful the muhaddithin were. That they weren't just concerned about the hadith and the sanad, but they were concerned about the adab as well. That what kind of adab they're observing and what kind of adab the teacher has to observe. حدثنا عثمان قال أخبرنا جرير عن منصور عن أبي وائل عن أبي موسى so Abu Musa al-Ashri, he said, قَالَ He said, جَاءَ رَجُلٌ A man came إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, To the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. فَقَالَ So he said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ O Messenger of Allah, مَا الْقِتَالُ What is al-qital? Fighting في سبيل الله in the way of Allah. What is real fighting in the way of Allah? What is it to actually fight in the way of Allah? فَإِنَّ Because indeed, أَحَدَنَا One of us, يُقَاتِلُ He fights غَضَبًا in anger. Meaning, he's fighting just to satisfy his anger. He's just taking revenge from the enemy for the personal damage that was caused to him. So he's fighting out of ghadab. وَيُقَاتِلُ And there's another person who is fighting out of hamiyyatan. Remember the word hamiyya? Hamiyyat al-jahiliyyah. Chauvinism. To be very protective and uh, to be very, you can say, proud of your tribe or of your group. And you are always in favor of them. So if anyone says anything against them, you stand up, you defend. So, وَيُقَاتِلُ حَمِيَّةً That if, for example, a person, you know, somebody from his tribe or somebody from his relative, somebody from his family has been killed, harmed by the enemy, so you're fighting only to protect your people. Hmm? Like for the sake of your honor. Okay. So is this okay? فَرَفَعَ إِلَيْهِ رَأْسَهُ So the Prophet ﷺ lifted up his head. Towards who? Towards that man. Qala, the narrator of Musa, he's saying, وَمَا رَفَعَ إِلَيْهِ رَأْسَهُ And he did not lift his head towards him, إِلَّا except أَنَّهُ That indeed he كَانَ He was قَائِمًا standing. 
the only reason why the Prophet ﷺ lifted up his head was because the sa'il, the person who was asking the question, was standing before him. So because he was standing before him, this is why the Prophet ﷺ lifted up his head in order to look at him, in order to speak to him, in order to give him the answer. Why? Because he was sitting and the man was standing. What does it show to us? Exactly what Sister Amina just mentioned. Lift up your chin. Towards who? Towards the person that you're talking to. Why? So that they can hear you, they can see you. فَقَالَ And then he said, مَنْ قَاتَلَ The one who fights. لِتَكُونَ So that it becomes. What becomes? كَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ The word of Allah. هِيَ it الْعُلْيَا The highest. So the one who fights, so that the word of Allah becomes the highest. فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ So he is truly in the way of Allah. Azza wa jalla. What does that mean? Azza, exalted, right? And mighty. So that person is fighting in the way of Allah. What do we see in this hadith? That the Prophet ﷺ lifted his head because he was sitting and the questioner was standing. So this shows us a very good etiquette that if somebody is asking us something, somebody is talking to us, then we should look at them. Then we should see them. And we see that the man asked, what does it mean to really fight in the way of Allah? How should it be done? With what intention? Because we learned that إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ So this hadith clearly explains that. The one who is fighting for the sake of Allah, then he is in the way of Allah. His intention is so that the word of Allah is exalted, then he is in the way of Allah. But if his intention is to take revenge, if his intention is to humiliate others, to disgrace others, then that is not in the way of Allah. That is not in the way of Allah. Because when Muslims have been commanded to fight, like we see in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it was not just to take revenge, it was not just to, you know, to humiliate, to disgrace other people. Because if that was the objective, then that would have been done. We know about how peacefully Makkah was conquered. We know how the prisoners of war were treated in such a good manner. So the objective of fighting in the way of Allah is not to humiliate others. It is to raise the word of Allah. What does it mean? That if anyone comes against the word of Allah, opposing that, then those people will be fought. And we see that once there was a king, uh, his name was Taymur. He conquered an enemy. And what he did was that he had their necks cut off and had them arranged. And very you know, boldly he said that, have I not done right? And one of the scholars, he said that, no, you have not done right. And he quoted this hadith. That what you're doing is not fighting in the way of Allah. You're fighting just for the sake of fighting, just to humiliate your enemy. And this is not in the way of Allah. Bab as-su'ali, questioning, wal-futya, and giving fatwa, in the near, ramyi al-jimar. Ramyi. What does ramyi mean? Stoning of al-jimar. What does that mean? The jamarat at Mina, where the hujjaj are supposed to throw stones as a ritual of hajj. So at that occasion, while performing that ritual at that place, at that time, can a person ask a question? And can a person give an answer? Yes. You'd be like, why not? Why is this such a big deal? The point is that ilm can be learnt and taught any place, any time. No matter how busy you are, no matter how spiritually focused and involved you are, there's still time to give. There's still time to take. Because sometimes it happens that people think, now I'm focused on myself. I don't care about what other people are going through. I don't care what they want. I don't care what they need. No, I'm going to focus on myself. But at Hajj, 
There are so many people and everybody has not studied Kitab al-Hajj. Everybody does not know about the fiqh of Hajj. So if somebody asks you, by the way, and at Hajj this happens, if anyone has gone for Hajj, you will see the confusion that people are in. Our group, they did not take us here, and we ended up coming late, and this is not happening, and that is not happening. So when people are in confusion, should you tell them if you know? Yes, you should. And you will see this at Hajj. That you will see, for example, small groups of people who are sitting together and, you know, a person is instructing them or their Hajj leader, the group leader is instructing them. So it's the best time to ask questions. And many times it happens that when you're engaged in something, then the questions that are related to that, you will remember only at that time. Isn't it? So ask then, get the answer then. If you wait for later, then what's going to happen? You'll forget about the question. You will, it will not bother you anymore. And you will be deprived of learning about something that may be very important. حدثنا أبو نعيم قال حدثنا عبد العزيز بن أبي سلمة عن الزهري عن عيسى بن طلحة عن عبد الله بن عمر قال he said رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم I saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم عند الجمرة near the جمرة one of the جمرات I saw him over there. And obviously, why do you think the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would be there by the جمرات? To perform the ritual. وَهُوَ While he was يُسْأَلُ He was being questioned. Meaning people were asking him questions. One after the other. فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ So a man said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah, نَحَرْتُ نَحَرْتُ نَحَرْ I sacrificed, I slaughtered my animal قَبْلَ Before أَنْ that أَنْ أَرْمِيَ That I did Rami. So I slaughtered the animal before I could do the Rami. Qala, the Prophet ﷺ said, Irmi, do rami, wala haraj. And there's no harm in that. It's okay, you, you don't have to do anything. Qala akhar, another person said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, halaqtu. I shaved my head. Qabla before an anhara, that I sacrificed, I offered a sacrifice. Qala, he said, Inhar, wala haraj. Do your nahr, meaning offer your sacrifice, and there's no harm. فَمَا سُؤِلَ So he was not asked عَنْ شَيْءٍ About anything قُدِّمَ That was advanced Meaning that was that was done before its time وَلَا أُخِرَ Nor it was deferred Meaning it was done afterwards إِلَّا except قَالَ He said إِفْعَلْ وَلَا حَرَجْ Do it and there's no harm No problem So any question that he was asked He said no problem What you've done is okay Now just do what you haven't done Rami It comes before نَحْر Rami technically is supposed to be done before offering the sacrifice. And Nahr comes before Halq. Nahr, offering the sacrifice, comes before shaving the head, before cutting the hair. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَحْلِقُوا رُؤُوسَكُمْ حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الْهَدِيُّ مَحِلَّهِ Do not shave your heads until the hadi reaches its place of sacrifice, meaning until the hadi is slaughtered. And once it is slaughtered, then you should cut your hair or whatever. We see that on the day of Eid, the hajjaj, who are at Mina, they're supposed to perform five rituals on that day. How many rituals are they supposed to perform? Five at Mina. First of all, Rami. The second ritual is Nahr. The third is Halq. The fourth is Tawaf. And the fifth is Sari. Rami, Nahr, Halq, Tawaf, and Sari. The order is like this. And it is afdal, meaning it is best if a person performs the rituals in this order. However, if it's not possible for a person to perform the rituals in this order, then what do we learn in the hadith? That it's okay, there's no harm. 
And this is not just specific to this day, but also for the remaining days when a person has to do the Rami. So this order, you don't have to follow it on the day of Eid and also afterwards, the remaining days of Hajj. What does this hadith show to us? That our deen, this deen is very easy, very practical. Yusr. How many people gather together for Hajj? Can't even count them. Thousands and thousands. And if all people were to perform the same ritual at the same time, in the same order, what would happen? Hajj would become impossible for people. There would be so much chaos. So we see how practical, how realistic our deen is, that you have to perform all these rituals within this time, okay, in whatever order possible, do it. But this doesn't mean that we start changing the order of other rituals according to our own thinking. We can't do that. Only the permission that the Prophet ﷺ gave, we observe that. And the permission that he did not give, we do not observe that. So for example, the mushrikeen, they would change the months. They would say that, okay, we'll make this so-and-so month. We'll make this so-and-so month so we don't have to fight. Or we can fight. It was convenient for them. So can we do it like... You know, Ramadan is coming the summer, so shift it to the winter. Can we do that? No, we can't do that. Even if it may seem more practical, but we are not allowed to make such changes, make such exceptions in the Sharia. We will only observe those which the Prophet ﷺ has made for us. A person may also perform the sari before the tawaf, okay? As long as he does the other rituals within the given time and at the right place. Bab Qawlillahi Ta'ala, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا أُوتِيتُ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And you have not been given knowledge except قَلِيل, except very little. And this is very true. Just think about it. Even in the matters of the dunya, what people know and what they don't know. What is more? What they don't know. So likewise, in general, human beings, what they don't know is more than what they know. وَمَا أُوتِيتُ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا and what we know is Subhanaka La ilmalana illa ma'allamtana. We have no knowledge except what you have taught us. You know, this is the reason why we don't object when it comes to the decisions of Allah, whether they are kawni or shari. This is why we accept the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed anything for us. And this is why we say Samirna wa atarna and Radidu Billahi Rabban wa bil Islamidina because we don't know much. We really don't know much. Whatever we know is what has been given to us by Him and what we don't know is so much more. So we should realize our position and accept the greatness of Allah and only then can a person humble before Allah. حدثنا قيس بن حفصن قال حدثنا عبد الواحد قال حدثنا الأعمش سليمان عن إبراهيم عن علقمة عن عبد الله قال he said عبد الله بن مسعود عن عبد الله this is عبد الله بن مسعود he said بين أنا أمشي Baina. What does it mean? Once. Good. Once while I was amshi, I was walking. Ma'an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi in kharib al-Madina. Kharib. What's the root? Kharaba. Any word that you can think of? Kharab. Wasa'afi kharabiha. What does kharab mean? When something is destroyed and also? Wasa'afi kharabiha. What's the kharab of the masajid? Abandoned, empty. So, Kharib al Madina, the empty places, the wasteland of Medina, meaning there were no houses there, no people, no fields, no agriculture, just empty land. Just like when you go out of a city, you, you find such places. Wahua, while he was, Yatawakka'u, he was reclining. Allah upon 
عَسِيبٍ مَعَهُ The Prophet ﷺ, while he was walking, he was reclining on an عَسِيب that was with him. What is عَسِيب? عَسِيب is basically a branch of a palm tree whose leaves have been removed. A branch of a palm tree whose leaves have been removed. So he was using it as a stick. فَمَرَّ So he passed by بِنَفَرٍ A group مِنَ Yahud Of the Yahud. So a group of Jews was there. فَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ So some of them said, لِبَعْضٍ To others, سَلُوهُ عَنِ الرُّوحِ Ask him about ruh. Ask him about the ruh. وَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ And others said, لَا تَسْأَلُوهُ Don't ask Muhammad ﷺ about the ruh. Why? Because لَا يَجِئُوا He should not come فِيهِ Concerning it بِشَيْءٍ With something تَقْرَهُونَهُ That you will dislike. So don't ask him about ruh because he might tell you something that you will not like. He might tell you about something in response to your question that you will not like. So don't ask. فَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ So some of them said, لَنَسْأَلَنَّهُ No, we're surely, definitely going to ask him. فَقَامَ رَجُلٌ So a man stood minhum from them. فَقَالَ And then he said, يَا أَبَا الْقَاسِمْ O Abu Al-Qasim. He didn't say, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ He said, يَا أَبَا الْقَاسِمْ مَرْرُوحِ What is the ruh? فَسَكَتَ So the Prophet ﷺ was silent. فَقُلْتُ So I said, meaning Ibn Abbas, إِنَّهُ Innahu, indeed he, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, yuha ilayhi, it is being revealed to him, meaning he is receiving revelation. This is why he is silent. فَقُمْتُ So I stood, meaning I stood there until the Prophet ﷺ received the entire wahi. فَلَمَّا then when Injala anhu, injala, deem lam, yeah, it passed from him, it cleared from him, meaning that wahi was over. قَالَ he said, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ and they ask you about the ruh. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Say the ruh is min amri rabbi from the command of my Lord. وَمَا أُوتُوا مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And they have not been given of knowledge except little. قَالَ الْأَعْمَشْ Armash said, هَكَذَا فِي قِرَاءَتِنَا This is how it is in our qira'ah. How? The verse that وَمَا أُوتُوا مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا So Armash said, in our qira'ah, it is وَمَا أُوتُوا And in the mashhur, in the more famous qira'ah, what is it? وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ We see in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ was passing by and the Jews, they wanted to ask him a question. And there was a difference amongst them. Some wanted to ask and others did not want to ask. And this is just like, you know, sometimes you want to ask a question, like, should I ask, should I not? And then people say, ask, ask. So what kind of questions should we ask? Appropriate, relevant, something that we need to know, something that we have to find out about. So never hesitate concerning such questions. Because it is your obligation to find out, to learn. And if you don't find out, you don't learn, and you end up doing something wrong, then you will be held accountable. Because you had the opportunity to find out, but you didn't take benefit. However, what kind of questions should we not ask? Questions that don't have to do much with amal. Questions that are just to test the other person. So what does he have to say? What opinion does he hold? How much does he know? Is he familiar with this? Is he not familiar with this? So the Jews, why were they asking? They wanted to test the Prophet ﷺ. What does he say? What does he know? Let's test him. So such questions we should always avoid. Because there is no benefit in such questions. And look at the response that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave. You don't know much. This is of the commands of Allah and you don't know anything about it. And we see that when they asked the question about the ruh, what does it mean by ruh over here? Scholars have differed concerning that. Some have said that over here, ruh, it may refer to the human soul with which there is life. And others have said that no, it refers to the angel Jibreel. Because the angel Jibreel has been described as a ruh in the Quran many, many times. تَنَزَّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالْرُوحُ فِيهَا قُلْ نَزَّلَهُ رُوحُ الْقُدُسِ 
نزل به الروح الامين so many times ruh has been used for the angel jibril so many scholars say that over here the jews were asking about the angel jibril why would they ask about the angel jibril he was the one who was bringing revelation to the prophet sallallahu alaihi but why were they concerned they did not like jibril they were adu to jibril man kana adu lillahi wa malaikati man kana adu li jibril so they said that we are enemies to jibril we don't like jibril And this is the reason why some said that don't ask him about Jibreel because he might tell you something that you're not going to like. He might tell you something, you know, that praises Jibreel or that shows how good he is, that shows his good qualities and you're not going to like that. So don't ask. Don't ask him about it. And other scholars say that Ruh over here means Ruhul Hayy, meaning the Ruh with which there is life. of a living being, of a living being such as a human being. So this is what they were asking about. But in any case, if you think about it, whether it is about the angels or it is about the human soul, both of these are what? Of the matters of the unseen. We don't know much about the human soul. We don't see it. We cannot feel it. We cannot study it like we can study the human body. And we know that it does have some kind of form because once a person dies and that ruh is taken out of the person and the angels they take the ruh and the person who's dying the eyes look at the ruh so it is definitely a reality and it's mentioned so many times so it does have a reality but what is that reality how is it we cannot describe it we do not know much about it and the fact is that this is something that we cannot fully comprehend because what you cannot see how can you fully comprehend it you can't your understanding of it will always be limited so likewise the answer is in the verse that wama utitu min al-ilm illa qalila you have not been given except very little knowledge so even if you're explained about what ruh is you won't be able to comprehend so what kind of questions should we ask questions that we can comprehend about matters that are related to us things that we can see things that we actually deal with and things that we don't deal with We don't need to go into such arguments. It's not going to change the amal. And the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا أُوْتِيتُ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا This is something that's very true, that we have very, very little knowledge. Recently I was watching this video about this um, person. I don't know if you've heard of him, Dr. Nathan Wolf. He is um, known as the virus hunter. And in the video I saw how he, he went to um, address a group of students once and they asked him, that, so what, where should we explore? What should we explore? And he was trying to explain that people have this idea that we know about everything now. And if we want to have more discoveries, we have to go into outer space or we have to go deep down in the sea and only then we can discover something. And he said, there are things that are right, you know, below our noses quite literally and we don't even know what they are. And he was giving the example of viruses, that how they were discovered and how there's so many that exist and we have no clue about what they are. And there's a term known as biological black matter okay and that is you know for every organism there is we know that there is a genome there's genes right and it can be coded and when they code that majority of it they have no idea what it is they cannot call it anything they cannot test it with anything they cannot identify it. they have no idea what it is and before they used to call it nonsense because they thought it was nothing 
And now they know that it is something that we don't know about. And now they're studying, they're researching, testing one thing after the other. And this man, he's been studying about potential viruses for over 10 years in Africa, collecting blood samples from animals, humans, such a huge study. And still, there's very little that we know. Very little that we know, even in the world that we're living in, even about our own human body, isn't it? Just think about yourself. You don't know what's going on inside your body. You don't know why something's happening in your body, why something's not happening. You have no clue. You go through one test after the other. You cannot find out. You can't even figure out what's happening with your children or with your with your school or with your studies or whatever. There's so many things that we don't know about. So we should realize our reality that we know very, very little. And as long as a person remembers his reality, he will remain humble. He will remain careful. وَمَا يَعْلَمُ جُنُودَ رَبِّكَ إِلَّا None knows about the armies of Allah except Him. So, we have no idea about what they are. We learned that Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, if he was asked about something and he knew about it, uh, he had the evidences, he would say what it was, whether it was halal or it was haram, or mustahab or mubah or whatever. And whatever he, whatever evidences did not exist, meaning he didn't know about it, or he could not find anything that supported an argument in the Qur'an or Sunnah, then he would say, no, it's not appropriate to ask such. It's not appropriate to delve into such things. So what we know about, accept it, do it. And what we don't know about, accept that as well. Accept that as well. What you don't know, accept your ignorance in some matters. We think that you know, it would be humiliating ourselves if we didn't accept our ignorance in some matters. No, there's no humiliation in saying, La adri, I do not know. Because a person should realize how much I know, whatever I know is still little. There's still so much to learn, so much to benefit from. And we should be careful in saying what is halal, what is haram. Right? We fluctuate in our knowledge as well. So whatever we know today, so people at the end of the course, if they've been scoring 80-90% or 99% even, couple years, if they're not related to the same knowledge, go ask them a root word, they might not know. So our knowledge is not with us for sure. Yeah. And everybody knows about old age, how people begin to forget things in old age, something that you could be so sure about, something that that was at your fingertips. You didn't have, you even have to think about it when you were saying it, but you can forget it. So... You know, this is, ilm is a gift of Allah. And we should be happy with this gift. Very happy. But not to the point of marh and batar and, and, you know, boasting and being arrogant about it. No. And whatever we do find out, anything that we learn about, remember there's always more to learn about that. Think about the story of Musa and Khadr. We learned something completely new in the version that we learned. So before you perhaps thought that, I know the story of Musa and Khadr, but Every time you learn, you learn something new, you learn something more. So whatever you do know, even that is not perfect. And this realization brings many benefits to a person. First of all, it keeps a person humble. Secondly, it keeps a person careful. He doesn't speak much without knowledge. And thirdly, it keeps him eager for more. It keeps him eager for more. And he doesn't ever think that what I've learned is sufficient. Rather, he wants to learn more and more. You become more curious so for example, uh, if you studied Rumul Hadith, I remember one, one of you said to me that I want to study this again. I want to go over this again. Because you feel as though you've just touched the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more uh, to understand, to learn, to, to memorize, to go over again. So there's always room for more improvement. Once a poet said, قُلْ لِلَّذِي Say to the one who claims that he knows. 
عَرَفْتَ شَيْئًا وَضَاعَتْ عَنْكَ أَشْيَاءً That you know only one thing, but there are many things that you don't know. So say to the one who claims that he knows, that you know only one thing, and there are many other things that you don't know about. وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That ilm is such a huge blessing that it satisfies you like nothing else does. It keeps you curious, it keeps you thirsty for more. That no matter how much you know, you want to know more. You know, for example, a hundred years ago, people had no clue about what viruses are. Now they have some idea. And this person was saying about how a hundred years from now, people would say they didn't even know about this. So there's so much to learn as time goes by. There's so much information everywhere, so much to learn. So we should definitely benefit from it. Alhamdulillah. That uh, the more you learn, the more eager you become, the more anxious you are, the more thirsty you are for more. And if a person continues this way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will satisfy him inshaAllah. Inshallah we'll conclude over here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.